freedom to have Bibles, and we have the ability to have our own Bible that we can look at, that we can carry in our hands, that we can read whenever we want to read it. Lord, forgive us for not being as diligent as we ought to be as students of your word. But this morning, as we look at it, as we read it, as we study it, I pray that our minds would be focused. Pray that you would remove distractions from us today and that our hearts would be open to how your spirit would apply your word in our personal lives. Each one of us is dealing with different things in our own uh, lives, in our own hearts. And we know your word is powerful and that it will cut right to the very heart of each and every one of us. And we pray that as that happens, because we know your word is effective, as that happens, that we would not quench the spirit and we would not grieve the spirit. Father, it's our uh, desire and it's our prayer that you be magnified today. That because of what we do here, because of what we say here, because of what we learn here, that you will be exalted not only in our own hearts, but in this church as a whole and in our community as a whole. And so, Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we commit the rest of this service into your hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And immediately as you come to Daniel chapter 2, one of the first things you'll notice is that it's a long chapter. 49 verses in all. Now, how many of you think we're going to get through 30, 49 verses this morning? <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a laughable idea. And uh, so we're going to have to divide this passage up into two sections. And uh, in this chapter, what we have is really the first major prophetic section in the book of Daniel. And of course, we know the book of Daniel is full of uh, prophetic statements. And this is the first major prophetic section. And it's going to concern the Gentile nations. God's prophetic plan for the Gentile nations. And it gets into what uh, Luke in his gospel calls the times of the Gentiles. And so that's what we're getting into. Now, before we get into that and we get into the specific prophecy that Daniel's going to give, we have to set things up. And that's what we're going to try to do this morning. We're going to try to set things up. And, um, and there in the bulletin, I think the title is Nebuchadnezzar's Nightmare. In your study notes, I say, I had a dream, um, sort of playing off Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. I have a dream. Well, this is Nebuchadnezzar saying, I had a dream. So let me, I think it would be good, and this is kind of an extended reading here, but I think it would be good if we just took time and read this entire chapter. So I'm going to read it and you follow along in your Bible because this will help us more than any one thing to get this entire chapter 
into context as we look at it. So I'm starting in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 2. Verse 1. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had, a, had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king said to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Then the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever, ever. Say the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great glory. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king say the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are buying time inasmuch as you have seen that the word from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one law for you. Indeed, you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the time is changed. Therefore, say the dream to me, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on the earth who is able to declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or powerful ruler has ever asked about a matter like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the matter which the king asks is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and said, uh, and said for them to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the law went forth that the wise men were to be killed, and they sought out Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, a powerful official for the king, For what reason is the law from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and sought from the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so that they might seek compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. 
Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and might belong to him. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and established kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. Even now you have made known to me what we sought from you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king is asking, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, or diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the last days. This was your dream and the visions of your head while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would happen in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will happen. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me by any wisdom which is in me more than, more than in any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was, a, there was a single great image. That image, which was large and of an extraordinary splendor, was raised, raising up in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that image was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will say its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men inhabit, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has made you rule with power over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule with power over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. Now in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not cling to one another, even as iron does not combine with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will cause a kingdom to rise up, which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and it will put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will happen in the future. So the dream is certain and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and said for them to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him rule with power over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel sought of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Daniel chapter 2. So that sets the context for us. So let's go back to uh, verse 1. Verse 1. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare. Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare. I'm sure all of us at one point in time in our lives have had nightmares. Sometimes it's just something we don't understand and it wakes us up. It can be something that scares us. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams where you think you're falling and then all of a sudden you, you kind of 
your body kind of jumps a little bit, but you're in bed, it kind of jumps a little bit and you wake up and uh, sometimes you can roll over and go back to sleep, sometimes you can't. You can't just go back to sleep. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare and we see in verse 1 that this dream occurs in 603 BC. It says, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. So Nebuchadnezzar's second year. So remember, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the throne in 605 BC. Now, the way the Babylonians calculated the years of a king's reign, the first year of a king's reign was calculated as his first entire year as king. That's important to note because that tells us about the times uh, that these time markers that Daniel uses in this particular book. So in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar becomes king in the year 605. But his first year as king is calculated from 604. So the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign is 603 BC. Now, this means Daniel is still in school. Do you realize that? He's taken captive in 605, and he's told you're going to be in school for three years. Now, I'm not that good at math, but 605... 604, 603. That's three years. So this dream comes to Nebuchadnezzar in 603. Daniel is either still in school or he has just graduated from school. Whatever the case might be, Daniel's probably only about 16 years old at this time. So 16 years old when we have Daniel chapter 2. And we see here in verse 1 that this dream, this nightmare that Nebuchadnezzar has, causes him to be restless and sleepless. It says, and his spirit was troubled and sleep left him. So this is so disturbing to him, he can't go back to sleep. And this happens over a period of time. Notice what it says there in verse 1. Right in the middle of the verse, it says, Nebuchadnezzar had... Dreams, plural. Dreams, not a dream. He had dreams. And that means this dream that he had, either he had it over and over and over again over a period of time, or he had bits and pieces of this dream over successive nights that would come to him. But he had dreams about what we've read here this morning. And so... He has this dream, this nightmare. He can't get back to sleep because it's so disturbing to him. And so what does he do? We see this in verse 2. He calls for the wise men to come. Verse 2 says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. Now, when we look at the names or the titles of these people here, magicians, conjurers, and sorcerers, one of the first things we notice is those first three categories of people are people that we would say deal with the occult, deal with the demonic world. But these men were more than just 
um, men who were involved in the occult. Uh, they were wise men. These are what the ancient people of Babylon would have called wise men. And, and so these are men who played an important part in the kingdom of the Babylonians. The final term we see here is the Chaldeans. And, and that term Chaldean, we've looked at it before, but it's used in three different ways here in the Bible. And the way that it's being used in here is for the vocation of advisors to the king. So these are advisors to the king, these Chaldeans. And so these wise men that Nebuchadnezzar uh, has uh, brought into him, these are the people who would tell him uh, or give him advice or tell him the meaning of mysterious things. Now, we also want to recognize that at this particular time, Daniel is not in this group. Now, we know Daniel's not in this group because when we get to verse 13, we see that they have to go out to find Daniel. They got to go out to find Daniel. So Daniel's not going to be in the group that comes uh, before the king for whatever reason. We don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, he got 30 days leave after graduation. Um, maybe he's on kind of probation, so he's not, he's not the, the first string. Maybe he's sitting on the bench when it comes to this type of thing right now. He doesn't have experience. Remember, he's only 16 or 17 years old. Um, but they're, they're going to have to go out to get Daniel. He's not with this group right here. And this group, they're not just a bunch of witch doctors. Okay, this group of wise men. These are the academics. These are the scholars of their day. These are the most learned men in the world. Right about this same time, one of these wise men calculated one year they calculated the length of one year to be 365 days six hours 15 minutes and 41 seconds that's in the sixth century bc he was off by 27 minutes think about it so these are really smart, intelligent men. They were experts in astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, the study of the stars. Now somebody tell me, what other account in the Bible does that play in a very important part in? Yes, the, the birth of Christ with the wise men or the magi from the east probably from Babylon, are studying the stars. Those magi would be the descendants the, the, in the same category as these wise men that we see here. So, and the king calls these wise men in because he wants to know what this dream is all about. Look at verse 3. He says, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled and, or anxious to know the dream. He wants to know. The dream is so disturbing and perplexing to Nebuchadnezzar that he wants to know what it means, probably at a bare minimum, so he can get some sleep. He wants to know what it's about. So in verses 4 through 13, we see Nebuchadnezzar's impossible request, his impossible 
request. And the request that he makes is, you wise men, I brought you here not just so you can tell me the interpretation of the dream, but I want you to tell me what dream I had and then tell me the interpretation. So that's going to be his impossible request. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 4, in verse 4, it says, Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. So this is where the Aramaic section of Daniel begins. And it's going to run all the way to the end of chapter 7, verse 28. That's important because it sets out the Gentile nature of what will be spoken of here. And so this is the beginning of this Aramaic section. And so Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare. Then he gives this impossible request to the wise men to tell him what dream he had and what the interpretation is. And then we see this conversation that Nebuchadnezzar has with the wise men. And starting in verse 4, you can just follow along here. It's, you know, it's just like it would be written in a book today. And in verse 4, we see the Chaldeans are speaking. And they speak the normal flattery stuff. Oh, king, live, live forever. So they're just, you know, that's how you talk to kings. You know, you got to make them feel good. And basically, they tell the king, tell us, King Nebuchadnezzar, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And in verses 5 and 6, Nebuchadnezzar responds to them and he says, nope, not going to happen. He says, I'm not going to do that. He says, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to have your arms and legs pulled off one by one. Now, I'm sure you all never did anything like this, but some kids will get a bug or a spider or something and they'll start pulling the legs off of it. That's the picture. Now let me ask you a question. Is Nebuchadnezzar the kind of man who could be that brutal? Well, here in a couple of chapters, we're going to find out that he's brutal enough to burn three men to death. Just go throw them into a furnace. So he's a pretty brutal guy. And So when it says he's going to tear them limb from limb here... I take it that that's exactly what he means. And, and then he says, as another punishment, I'm not only going to kill you, but it says I'm going to turn your house into a rubbish heap. Now, that is a phrase, rubbish heap is a phrase in the ancient world that means I'm going to confiscate all your property and your family's property. In other words... Not only am I going to kill you, but I'm going to take away everything your family has, everything they need to survive, I'm going to take it away. They're not going to have anything. And then he adds, but if you, know, if you give me what I want, I'll give you a lot of reward. And so the, uh, the Chaldeans come back in verse 7, and they say, okay, no problem, but you really are going to have to tell us the dream. Okay, you're really going to have to tell us the dream before we can give your interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar comes right back in verses 8 and through 9 and says, forget about it. I know you're a bunch of shysters. I know you just are trying to get time. And then if I tell you the dream, you're just going to tell me whatever you want. 
you're going to make something up and you're going to tell me and you're going to say this is the interpretation. It's like, I'm not going to put up with that. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. It's firm. I've made my decision. This is final. And then the Chaldeans come back in verses 10 and 11, and they say to Nebuchadnezzar, this is an impossible request. There's no one, there's no one on the earth who can do what you're asking. There is no one, no king, no ruler has ever asked such a thing. And I think they were probably going on in their mind. No one has asked such a stupid thing of any of their wise men before. Only the gods in heaven. Only the gods can reveal this type of thing to the king. So I want you to notice here, with verses 10 and 11, with what the Chaldeans say here, they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar, they're setting the stage for Nebuchadnezzar, saying to him, the only person, the only place where this kind of request can be answered is from God's outside of the human existence. And so they say to Nebuchadnezzar, this is just an impossible request. We cannot do this. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Verses 12 through 13, he says, okay, kill him. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. He says, okay, kill him. He sends out his chief bodyguard, Ariok, to execute all the wise men. And so as we come to verse 13 now, we see that this presents Daniel and his friends with a little bit of a problem. Verse 13, so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, should be executed. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So Daniel was not in the king's court at this time. He was wherever wise, you know, he was in the wise men dormitory or something like that. And uh, so they're going out to gather in the wise men to kill them. And so Daniel is away with um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so here comes the king's bodyguard to execute Daniel and his friends. Can you imagine? Imagine. You just graduate high school. You just graduate college. And you have your first job. And your first month on the job, you're told to do something that no one else has ever done before and no one can actually do. But if you don't do it, you're not just going to be fired, you're going to be executed. That is Daniel and his friends in the position that they are right now. So if you think about this, Daniel, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar has this nightmare and he calls his wise men in and says, uh, tell me what the dream was and then tell me the interpretation, an impossible request. The wise men say to Nebuchadnezzar, look, this is impossible. No one's ever even asked this before. Only the gods could reveal this to you. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, go ahead, kill all the wise men. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, this tells us something about Nebuchadnezzar. He's really dumb or he's really smart, okay? He could be really smart because the wise men who served Nebuchadnezzar were not appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. They were appointed by his father. So these aren't 
his men. These aren't his advisors. They are his father's advisors. And maybe Nebuchadnezzar says, this is a chance for me to get rid of these guys. You know, I don't want these, these guys hanging out anymore. I want to get rid of them. They're not loyal to me. They were loyal to dear old dad. I'm going to get rid of them. And so here's an opportunity for him to do that. So he could be acting smart in a way, but he could also be acting very dumb because he could be killing the very people who run the empire. Uh, these weren't just wise men in the sense of advisors. These were also the administrators of his kingdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this nightmare. He has a conversation with these Chaldean, these wise men. That conversation ends up with Nebuchadnezzar giving the order to execute these men. And now the executioners have gone out to find Daniel and his three friends to kill them as well. And so when we come to verses 14 through 18, we see that Daniel requests for time. We see his request for some time. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to execute the wise men of Babylon. He speaks to the man in charge of the executions, Arioch. So, this is verse 14. So Daniel is delaying the execution, or at least he's delaying the execution of him and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he speaks to Arioch, the guy who's in charge of the executions. He speaks to him with discretion or prudence and sensibility. So Daniel's being very careful with what he says to Arioch. What we see here is the order has been given, the executions are beginning to take place, and uh, Daniel just doesn't sit idly around and let it happen. So he seeks a delay in his execution, but in verse 15 we also see he seeks an explanation. An explanation. Verse 15, he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel didn't know what was happening. But now he asked the executioner, what's, why is this happening so quickly? What's the urgency with all this? And Arioch tells him. So Daniel's not in a position to demand any explanation from the king or the king's officers. But when you're about to be executed, most people, most reasonable people think, you know, that's a question. What's happening here? Why am I being killed? That's a reasonable request, isn't it? To tell someone, this is why you're being uh, executed. And so Ariok was totally reasonable, and he answered Daniel's request. And so we see in verse 16, after he seeks an explanation from Ariok, that Daniel requests time from Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I want some time, Nebuchadnezzar. Look what it says, verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. And we know, in fact, Daniel was given 
uh, this time. We don't know exactly how much time he was given, but he was given some extra time. Now, there's two amazing, if not miraculous, things that take place here. First, he's able to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, that's pretty miraculous. Daniel is on the bottom rung of the wise men ladder. He's at the very bottom. He's a newcomer. Who would listen to Daniel, this 16-year-old? He's at the bottom rung. So it's amazing that he even got to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Secondly, the, the second amazing or miraculous thing is that he is given time. He's given time. Remember, in verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar accuses the wise men of trying to get more time. He accuses them of delaying so that they would have more time to make something up to tell the king. And Nebuchadnezzar told those wise men, no way. I'm not going to give you any more time. And so why does Nebuchadnezzar allow Daniel to have more time when he didn't allow any of the other wise men to have time? Well, it seems from the context here that at least part of the reason is that Daniel was not trying to bargain with the king. He wasn't trying to bargain with the king. He wasn't telling the king, well, just tell me the dream and I'll give you the answer. He wasn't trying to do that. He just said, give me more time and I'll give you an interpretation. Uh, furthermore, this is probably an example of Daniel's reputation preceding him. Remember, all the way back in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, Daniel and his three friends are judged to be ten times better than all the other wise men in the land. So Nebuchadnezzar already has a disposition in favor of Daniel and he, his three friends. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar was willing to make an exception for Daniel because Daniel is among his wise men, not among his father's wise men. Uh, Daniel doesn't become a wise man until Nebuchadnezzar is already king. And lastly, I already said finally, but this is finally part two. Uh, lastly here, we don't see it in the text right here specifically, but we see it throughout the context that God is working. God is working behind the scene. So Daniel goes in and requests time from Nebuchadnezzar and he's allotted that time. And then in verses 17 through 18, we see that Daniel prays. Daniel prays. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter. So Daniel tells them this is what's happening. Verse 18, he tells them this is what's happening so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel goes in and he shares with his friends what is happening. He goes back to the barracks, he goes back to the dormitory, and he says to his 
friends. This is what's going on. And then he tells them the plan. Here's the plan. Pray. This is our plan to get out of this mess. We are going to pray. And what did Daniel pray for? What are they supposed to pray for? It says in verse 18 that they are to pray for compassion from the God of heaven. Now think about what they didn't pray for for a second. They didn't ask God to give Nebuchadnezzar compassion towards them. So they didn't ask for that. They didn't say, God, just give Nebuchadnezzar a compassionate heart towards us. No. They asked God to give them compassion. Nor did they ask God here to reveal the dream or the interpretation. They asked God for compassion towards them. So this is a recognition that the heart of the king is in the hands of God. Daniel would have known Proverbs 21, verse 1. Now, Proverbs 21 is a proverb of Solomon. And so this is speaking specifically about Solomon and the Israelite kings, but I think it's true in this case as well. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So Daniel recognizes that God has complete control over this situation. This situation did not surprise God, nor is it outside the power of God to do something about it. So they pray to God for compassion. Why would God be compassionate? Can you think of why God would be compassionate to, to Daniel and his friends? We'll look back to chapter 1, verse 9. Look back to chapter 1, verse 9. Now God granted Daniel loving kindness and compassion. Same word that we have in our verse this morning. Compassion before the commander of the officials. God had already granted Daniel compassion once, and there's every reason to believe that God would do this again. And so Daniel and his friends ask for compassion. By the way, this is the, there's some lessons we can learn here from, about prayer. Okay. By, by the way, Prayer, usually not a topic people address in the book of Daniel, but prayer is all throughout the book of Daniel. Okay? And we can learn something about prayer here. We can learn that when we are faced with impossible situations, the thing to do is stop, find faithful friends, and pray. And pray for a specific thing, a proper Thing. And so we can learn here from this little explanation of prayer here. Verses, verse 18, you have a prayer request. Verse 19, you have a prayer answered. And then verse 20 and following, you have a prayer of praise towards God. But we can learn from this the urgency of prayer, the power of corporate prayer, and the nature of a proper prayer request. And so we see in verses 19 and 20, or through 19 and 23 now, that God is the revealer 
of dreams. God is the revealer of dreams. Verse 19, it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So the dream of Nebuchadnezzar is revealed to Daniel in a vision. So here's Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare, tells his wise men, tell me my dream, give me the interpretation. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. And they say we can't. Only the gods can reveal this type of thing. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, you're dead. And they go looking for Daniel and his friends. And Daniel says, hold on, what's the rush? What's the rush? He says to Nebuchadnezzar, give me some time. I'll give you the interpretation. And the first thing he goes and does is not think real hard. He doesn't go and think real hard. He goes and he gets his friends and they pray. And when they pray, God reveals this dream in a vision, a night vision. Now, we've already seen that God has revealed to Nebuchadnezzar something in a dream. What's the difference between a dream and a vision? A a vision happens when the person is awake. A dream happens when the person is asleep. Visions add a certain amount of emphasis on the supernatural event of what is being revealed. All of us dream at one point or another. We all dream. So that's natural. Something revealed in a dream, supernatural. But in visions, there's only a supernatural revelation. And so Daniel has this dream revealed to him by God in a vision. And what's the first thing that Daniel does? The vision occurs. What's the first thing that Daniel does? Look at the next part of verse 19. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is the first thing. He's worried about his life. He's worried about his friends' lives. They don't have years before they die. They have moments before they're going to be executed. He gets the vision. He gets the dream. God reveals the dream. Now, what would I have done? What would you have done? I'd have probably been like, let's go. We got to get to the palace because I got to let the king know what's happening. I got to let him know this is his dream. That's not what Daniel does. The first thing Daniel does is he bless. God. Uh, And look, let's look at verses 20 through 23, because we see this prayer of praise that that, uh, Daniel gives to God. It says in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and might belong to him. These things are the possession of God. Wisdom and power are things that God possesses. In verses 21 through 22, we see the activity of God. The activity of God. Verse 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. So God is the one who changes times and seasons. This is 
a reference to God keeping the cosmic cycle in order. He keeps the sun in place. He keeps the earth rotating around the sun. He keeps all the stars in their courses. This is something that God does. He removes and he raises up kings. God is the one who establishes kingdoms among men. And he gives wisdom. God not only possesses wisdom, but he also gives wisdom. And so we see the possession of God is wisdom and power. God has the right to rule. And we also see the activities of God. Thirdly, we see the identification of God. Look at verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. So he says here in the identification of the God he's addressing, to you, O God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the one true and living God. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh. By the way, Daniel hardly ever uses the name Yahweh in this book. In, in fact, he only uses it six times, and all six times occur in chapter 9. All, all six times occur in chapter 9. That tells us when, whenever he does use that name, it's going to be super important. But here, he doesn't use the name, but it's a precise and direct reference to Yahweh when he says the God of our fathers. And so here's the identification of God. And lastly, in this prayer of praise, we see the personal care of God. The personal care of God. It says, for you have given me, you have given me wisdom and might. Even now you have made known to me what we sought from you. For you have made known to us his friends the kings matter so god is the revealer of dreams and has revealed nebuchadnezzar's dream to daniel we see here that god is omniscient daniel recognizes that god is omniscient he is all knowing he recognizes god is omnipotent that god is all powerful he recognizes recognizes that god is active that he is involved in his creation and that God is a personal God. He has a personal interest in Daniel and his three friends. This tells us a lot about who God is. Who God is. God is not the benevolent grandfather who says, oh, well, that's okay you know, don't make the same mistake again. He's, he's not this happy-go-lucky grandfather that will let everything slide and is just a, just a Santa Claus-type figure. Nope. The God of the Bible, the God of the book of Daniel, the God who Daniel is praying to is active, he's personal, he's all-powerful, and he is all-knowing. And we see that right after this, the executions are going to be stopped and Daniel's going to refuse credit. And we'll get to that stuff next week. So I'm gonna, we're not going to get through all of our notes here. I just want to wrap what we've learned up with a few things in conclusion. 
So we see that it's not long after Daniel has been deported to Babylon. About three years after he's been deported, he's probably in the end of his schooling or he has just graduated from his schooling, that Nebuchadnezzar has these nightmares. And because of these nightmares, he's very disturbed and he wants to know what is the significance of these nightmares. So he calls his wise men in and he says to his wise men, tell me what my dream is and give me the interpretation. If you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're gonna give me the right interpretation. The wise men say, nobody's ever asked anything like this before. Only the gods can reveal this type of thing. So Nebuchadnezzar says, fine, I'll just execute all of you. And so the executioner goes out to find Daniel and his three friends who are um, wise children. They're at the bottom of the, <laughs> the wise men ladder. They go out to find them, to execute them, and Daniel says, wait for a second. Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? What's the deal? Let me ask the king for time. Nebuchadnezzar gives him time, and the Lord reveals the dream to Daniel. Daniel and his friends pray, and God reveals the dream. And the first thing that Daniel does is acknowledge who God is, what he possesses, what he does, and that he cares for him. You know, it's important for us to acknowledge God. It's important that our idea of God, who we think God is, comes from the Bible. It comes from the Word of God, who he says he is. And it's important that when things happen, we don't take credit for what God does. You know, what happens when people take credit for what God does? Well, a little bit later on in this book, we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar goes mad. In the book of Acts, we saw that King Herod died because they took credit for what God does. When God clearly does something, we should be quick to acknowledge he is the one. He is the one who has done this because he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is the God of the Bible. And he is a personal God, and he is actively involved in our lives. We need to acknowledge who God is and what he's done. Secondly, I think this passage here challenges us in our prayer life. It challenges us in how we pray. When Daniel found out they were in line to be executed, he got time from the king, and the first thing he did is he went and he told his trusted friends, we need to seek God's compassion. He didn't tell them, let's stop and talk about this. Let's see what we can figure out. He told them, let's pray and seek the compassion of God, recognizing God is the only one who had a solution to their problems, to their crisis. That should be our attitude about every part of our life, that we need to stop, ask God for help, 
Seek him, acknowledging he is the one who can help. And finally, along with acknowledging God, we need to make sure when we think about God that we're not just thinking about God in some type of abstract way. Remember what I said at the beginning of the service about that survey? Only 81% of Americans believe that there is a God. Only 81%. It would be very interesting to find out what those 81% thought about who God is. I guarantee you, many of them, their idea of God does not come from the Bible. We need to make sure that when we say we worship God, when we, we say we serve God, we are serving and worshiping the God of the Bible. Daniel is a young man. You know, at the age of some of these young people over here and some of these young people back here, the same age. And he is an example of what it's like to be used by God. And God wants to use each and every one of us as long as we are willing to be used by him. Why don't you stand with me? And I'll close in a word of prayer. For our guests, just for their information, after uh, we get done praying, we're dismissed and we have a, a fellowship time down the hallway. I'm sure somebody will help you out or you can just follow the breadcrumbs and the smell of coffee uh, down the hallway. Um, we have that and our Sunday school time starts at 11.15. Uh, so let's, let's close in a word of prayer here. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time that we've had together and for the example of Daniel and his friends in a very difficult situation and how they turned to you in prayer. How they were faced with something impossible. They were faced with a crisis. And the first thing they did is stop everything, come together, and seek your help. Help us to be like that in our Christian lives. Help us to understand that you are an omniscient God. You know everything. You are all-powerful. You're active in the world, and you actively care for us. And that we can come to you with anything, and we can seek you and seek your compassion in our lives. Help us uh, to be that way. Help us to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and help us to be those who, when a, another Christian comes to us and asks us to pray for them, that we would do that faithfully as well. Now, Father, I ask that you would bless our fellowship time together and the Sunday school time to follow after that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.